What is fake news? Why is this such a problem today? And what do we do about it? We discuss this and more with special guest Megan Clark on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, home for the creative intellectual. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, resident reliable source, and with me as always is my captivatingly credible co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and um, resident skeptic of pretty much everything (laughs) I read and every headline and every source. So no one can please my skepticism. (laughs) You're not alone there, Uh, not not alone. (laughs) Well, and with us today, as you can see if you're watching us on video, is a very special guest. She is a journalist and a managing editor of Religion Unplugged, a fast-growing, award-winning global online religion magazine covering faith and public life. She has reported for Newsweek, International Business Times, Dallas Morning News, Religion News Services, and several outlets in India, including Indian Express and The Wire. She is also a proud contributing member of the Overthinkers Facebook community. She is the magical, the magnanimous, the magnificent Megan Clark. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I love your introductions. I always feel so hyped up when I listen to the beginning of the podcast. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Uh, I enjoy them. So it's a, it's a lot of it is for me, but I'm glad that you, you enjoy them as well. Um, so today, going off on uh, what uh, Nathan uh, brought up, uh, we are talking about something that is on the minds of every journalist these days, fake news. Fake news erupted into the American cultural lexicon in 2016 to refer to several websites falsely claiming to be news outlets that would publish intentionally fabricated political news stories. According to the BBC article, The Almost Complete History of Fake News, the term gained popularity with major news outlets as a way of explaining the presidential election of Donald Trump and became further widespread when others shot back by using the phrase against traditional media outlets that they saw as intentionally misleading in their coverage. Since then, the term fake news has become something of a political football, with many people calling fake news on any news item that they disagree with, while many others calling on tech companies like Twitter and Facebook to curb the spread of fake news on their platforms. Megan, as a journalist, How do you define fake news? And what is it about our modern world that's allowed fake news to emerge now as such a problem? Well, I, my definition of fake news, I think is, you know, pretty close to the dictionary definition of Mm -hmm. fake news, which is like false or misleading information that is presented as news. Hmm. So like, I don't consider satire fake news because it's labeled (laughs) satire. You know, like sure, the Babylon yeah. Bee. Um, oh, that's the a Indian. good one for blessings and curses. Oh, that, well, anyway, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> hey, go no, ahead. you stole mine. That oh no. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. You can but, take it. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't consider satire to be fake news mm. um, if it's labeled clearly as satire. But mm. like the most insidious fake news is the clickbait content that's purposely misleading or you know trying to make money through advertising. Um, just, you know, it could be something about like a cat rescuing a kid from drowning. And it's like, 
you know, oh, this is so adorable. It's like, well, actually someone in Russia made this up to make oh. advertising money off of it. You know, <sighs> it's like, how harmful is it? I don't know in that case. It's but the most evil thing to do of... fake cat videos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, then there's a lot of uh, obviously fake news that's more dangerous. But yeah, so I think it's just like false or misleading information presented as news. And then there's like subcategories like disinformation, which mm. is like intentionally misleading or false there's all kinds of different types like images that have been altered deep fakes videos like sure uh, so yeah there's i think there's like a lot more to it but it's basic my basic definition of fake news that's interesting that you bring up um because i think that a lot of times when we think about fake news we think of it in the context of they're just lying to us or they're just telling us false facts they're not they're telling us a completely uh, fabricated story or set of um, events when in reality, under your definition, and I tend to agree with your definition, it's news that actually includes a lot of truth, but is ultimately misleading to the reader. So the reader comes to a conclusion that is not completely true. Um, so fake news could also be lies of omission as well, not just lies oh, of Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Whatever. Something that's very misleading. Yeah. By leaving out yeah. crucial information that the reader needs to know to come to like a more reasonable decision. Yeah. And that's an interesting definition because I think for a long time and to a lot of people and to myself even, I thought of fake news as just reporting false things when in reality, the, the, ob the objective of uh, a fake news piece isn't necessarily to just lie to you. It's to form a narrative form an opinion, to yeah. to believing something or believing uh, or having a view about something um, that, that is maybe biased or not correct in some way, but it's misleading. That's an interesting um, additive to yeah. use. And it can about. be unintentionally misleading. Interesting. Well, interesting. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be... Well, so that's why there's like the subcategory that's disinformation. So there's okay. misinformation and disinformation. Okay. So uh, misinformation okay. is, you know, maybe this reporter didn't do their due diligence and or they're ignorant about certain parts of the population that had different views or something like that. The story wasn't very well sourced. They missed some kind of um, research that's important. There could be all kinds of reasons, you know, they, maybe their worldview blocks them off from asking better questions. Sure. They had bad assumptions. And then, uh, you know, that covers a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and disinformation is like, this is intentionally misleading for some either to make money, which is kind of less evil in a way, or to like ruin someone's reputation or bring mm -hmm. down a political opponent or to introduce doubt to make sure. people just, just enough of uncertainty to uh, not believe the truth anymore. Sure. So, so I, I, just real quick. Yeah, yeah. So in a lot of ways, overtly biased or even covertly biased news can fall under the definition of fake news because it's trying to craft a narrative or an outcome or view that isn't necessarily based on complete truth. Yeah, that's where the line becomes really murky because so like for me as a Christian journalist, I I've seen lots of different sides to this. Like I don't appreciate when people are like, you know, I'm not going to read mainstream news because it's biased. 
even though I am like a very avid consumer of all types of news. And I agree that there's bias in different areas of the media. And I see it like all time, especially covering religion. So it's like, I'm not denying that there's some bias, but there's such a big difference between factual errors and like knowing that certain publications have different assumptions. Like Mm. if you're already a person of faith, like you already operate in that sense in the world all the time where you know that like your worldview is different than, you know, everyone's very aware that like most of the media is left leaning, for example. But, you know, if you're not left leaning, that shouldn't keep you from reading them at all. You should just, you kind of come to it expecting that and knowing so it's, I think there's like a difference between, you know, you can have like some really good investigative reporting yeah. that's from a different worldview than yours, right. but it's so, actually there. So yeah, there's a difference between, I think that's an excellent point. There's a difference between having like a filter of a worldview because we all have that. That's that's yeah. sort of yeah. to a certain degree impossible to get away from. And one of the things, again, one of the things that I really grew to appreciate um, you know, as I got older, as I was consuming news, is people that, you know, where be able to at least know where the people were coming from. So I can say, okay, I know what filter they're using. And so I can filter my own understanding of their coverage through that. Interesting, That's yeah. not fake news. That's just being, you have to be a responsible consumer with that. Um, but then getting real things wrong, that the factual things wrong, that change the story. So the story is no longer um, just filtered badly. It's a lie. I guess is sort of is is where it would cross the fake news, which you said is sort of a blurry line. Um, I guess my 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 question I wonder is that like why is it that there's I've been sort of an explosion of this that we're seeing as a phenomenon right now? Because maybe I mean, you could you could argue that it's sort of always been with us to some degree, particularly with the definition we're using, but um, it's become much more of a talking point now that it has been. And it's been something we identified, we've given a name in this way. And so what, why do you think that it either has grown or at least we're becoming more aware of it? Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think, well, my theory is that obviously the internet just makes it a lot easier to create fake news because sure. you don't have to print things. It's very cheap to sure. create it. Um, and especially if you're creating it from somewhere like Ukraine, like people make less money in a lot of other sure. countries. Um, you can pay people to do it for you if you want from the West and it's cheap compared to the prices, you know, oh, that's interesting. Here. Um, but also, you know, like Donald Trump talking about fake news, I think like lit the fire hmm. because there was already a political polarization, but then, you know, he was really fixated on, I mean, I, I want to say that he still is, but he's like silent because we don't know what <laughs> you can't tweet anymore. Um, but yeah, so I think he is a huge, like he was a huge part in um, making the fake news discussion so prominent. Elevating it, to a, elevating it to a level that everybody was talking about. Yeah, it. because he was constantly attacking journalists, you know, like um, that really bothered me about Trump, like sure. and among many other things was that he was constantly attacking journalists. But, you know, at the same time, it's like Obama and Biden don't both, uh, you know, in their different presidencies so far, don't necessarily treat journalists like, you know, an open book or anything. Sure, yeah. <laughs> they kind of like are distant. Um, right. But, you know, so no. I think Trump had a lot to do with it. Okay, that makes sense. Well, and I want to go back and say one thing real quick before Please. we uh, move on. 
because uh, we were talking about the um, everyone sees the world and reports news from a particular worldview. We can't escape that. We're all going to be biased to a degree, right? Because we're Christians. So if, if any of us are reporting news, it's going to be from a worldview of believing, of believing in God, of having faith, th- those kind of things. Right. Where my issue comes in is where those biases, uh, that might even be the wrong word, but those realities of our context aren't admitted. So in yeah. other words, yeah. I right. make... Everyone knows I'm a person of faith. Right. Everyone knows that when I write a book or write an article or whatever it might be, it's going to be from a perspective of faith. What, what I have a problem with is when people say we have no bias or we have no point of view on this. This is the ultimate truth. I think I'd be much more likely to enjoy news if the outlets were just saying, well, yeah, we're right-leaning and we are a conservative outlet, or yes, we're a left-leaning outlet. And that's kind of how we see the world through this, through these principles. I think my problem is when people won't admit that they are writing from a point of view and they write it in this very objective fashion, which I guess we're all reaching for objective truth, but we still have to acknowledge that we're writing from a particular context. And so I think a lot of the fake news is we just have different ways of actually seeing the events that occur because we have different um, contexts in which we're writing about them or reading about them rather. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention earlier too, I would add on another point um, like coming back to this, but I think another contributing factor to mm. um, this whole discussion of fake news, and it ties into increased reader distrust of the media, sure. is actually yeah. the, the death of local news. Oh, interesting. Because um, when you have local news, like I wrote from my hometown newspaper, for example, in Texas, and you know, I knew all of the reporters who wrote for that paper, I think before oh, I started writing for it. Like the editor was someone who, you know, was my friend's dad. Like it's a different feeling. And even like the city paper that was, um, you know, bigger paper, but next to us, like Star Telegram. It's like, there's just a different sense of camaraderie, I guess. Sure. You know, you're reading local stories, like people have probably interacted, like small businesses know who the reporters are. It's much different than writing, uh, sorry, reading national news and also if you're in texas or wherever you are midwest reading news that you know is from the northeast which is a much different part of the country so i think that contributed to it and it's like you know increasingly hard for local news to make money um, because of the internet and especially you know platforms like google because if you're a new independent media like religion unplugged is it's very difficult to be highly ranked in search results when you're competing against places like the Washington post and the New York times, because they're rated higher with all the link backs and the traffic that they get. So even if you write a story, you know, even somewhere like the Dallas morning news, this happens all the time where a shooting or something happens um, that becomes national news. The Dallas morning Mm -hmm. news is the first on the scene. They know the sources the most, their story is actually, you know, in some ways probably better and they did it first, but they get way less traffic compared to the Washington Post who wrote it after them and maybe did almost kind of like a rewrite. So that happens all the time. That is fascinating. That's but, an element that I hadn't really thought about. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like an insider industry thing that people talk about. Um, but yeah, but going back to like objectivity and news, I totally hear what you're saying. And I agree that people should be aware of their biases and their assumptions i would say like assumptions Hmm. also maybe more than biases 
but like like for example if you want to get really philosophical about it it's like we do, do you think, always <laughs> of course that's exactly where exactly. i was going with it like you know do you believe that like the universe has an inherent meaning in it already that god created the universe and that you have a purpose or do you believe that you create your own purpose that's like a really simple thing that most people don't think about that literally affects so yeah. much like <laughs> like how you report on gender expression and gender identity is just one example yeah. that's like the most contentious no you're thing, right does um, meaning exist to be discovered discourse. yeah sorry does meaning does it exist out there to be discovered or do we create all of our meaning ourselves like that's a huge philosophical divide that right. affects everything the way you write about it so yeah no it, i think so, it makes sense. yeah yeah I definitely think that objectivity should be striven, striven yeah. for, strive for. So yeah, like that's another problem right now though, is that um, especially younger journalists, like I'm 29, but I'm talking about even younger than me. And um, I work with a lot of college students and, you know, in various online journalist forums, uh, there's definitely a very progressive arm of the media um, and younger journalists coming in that want to do away with objective reporting right? with mm. kind of the similar complaints that you're raising, but from uh, a side of social justice activism, right? because they see journalists as activists, which is, mm. you know, in one sense, like I lived in India for a while. When you're a foreign correspondent, you know, like your interests might be different than another right. journalist like a local journalist there so for example like you might be pro-democracy and not necessarily every journalist is depends where you are so like you do have that bias and you're not going to be objective about it so it's like it really depends but yeah i think too many people now in the media are talking about doing away with objectivity and i think that's really dangerous because like there's a difference between saying like yeah this is where we're coming from our publication is left-leaning and but I think there still needs to be a space for mainstream media to be like striving to be neutral because yeah. that's really important to have like both sides represented, but it's just a matter of like doing that well. And obviously a lot of people aren't doing it well. Well, it's yeah. interesting. You talk about um, a new idea of journalists becoming activists and in years past, those things were very separate. Journalism right. was its own thing, which is report the stories. I, I guess they're supposed to. There's always been this, but they were supposed to report the stories without bias that have happened. And you, um, you know, make your ideas about it where activism was happening more in the arts. It would happen in poetry and films right. and whatever it might be. But journalism was this untouchable, supposedly objective thing that just tells you what happened. And then the activism aspect comes through the more the artistic element. So it's interesting to see that journalism and the art, the art, uh, the creative world, which I don't know if, if this is a good thing, are merging in a way where journalism becomes activism, where you write your own passions and, and biases as an intentional thing into the news you report because that's actually the goal. That, that's an interesting thing. And, well, and on the first blush, I'd say, I don't know if that's necessarily a, um, a healthy thing for news and trust in journalism, ultimately. Oh, yeah, well, I, think I that's absolutely interesting. think it's horrible for journalism. <laughs> Why is it horrible for journalism? This is, I, I want to say, because I have an answer to this, but, I, but I, I, I'm interested in yeah. seeing yours because you're uh, the actual journalist. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think it's similar to how it's horrible for academia because mm. if you're, you know, if you're a journalist, your commitment, your highest commitment is to the truth and evidence-based reporting. Like wherever the evidence leads is what the story is. So like, you know, for example, if you look at journalism during the civil rights era, you can still call that activism if you want, but a lot of the journalism, there was some journalism that was straight up activism that meant to be activism, but there's also a lot of amazing journalists who simply reported what some racist people were doing and they stuck to the facts and like, that's what readers want to know. They want the information, you know, what happened, you know, stick to reality and show the evidence for what happened. And then there's another part of the, you know, the world that will follow up on that. You know, for example, like there's this really great journalist um, that we hosted recently at the King's College for an event. His name's Jerry Mitchell and he does investigative reporting in Mississippi. And he mm. wrote a book that came out this, I think it was like this past year came out, but was based on his reporting that he did following up decades later after these KKK members had uh, killed a black man. And um, they got away with it at the time. Mm. And he did some investigative reporting that basically landed them in jail like decades wow. later. And so, yeah, like some, I remember, so some young journalist was asking him, like, how can you, you know, interview these, like, such racist people? And like, it's so awful what they did. And how could you just talk to them and, you know, act like everything was fine? And, and I, they didn't say it just like that. But basically, that was like the sentiment of their question. And he was like, I'm a journalist, like, you just, you go there and you, you listen, like, your first job is to listen. Well, and his and, action. And then write down what they said. Yeah, maybe <laughs> fact. And the, his, but his actions in doing that actually had a practical um, effect, which it sounds like in yeah. him just doing his job. Well, this exactly, is qu- yeah. quite They're incredible. Like the commitment to the truth is what brings it out. Yeah. Well, that's, that's quite incredible. I mean, because we, we've already started on this kind of question about like, do you discover meaning in the world or do you impose meaning upon the world? And that's one of the things, I mean, like, what a people, the idea that people need to be able to form a narrative about the world, but in order to do that, they need to know enough facts in order to do that. And what journalism, you know, and, and there's well. to do it well, yes, to do it well. Um, and there's always been different places in the world where people that help people craft narratives that help people make sense of the world, but the, where journalism, what it did sort of uniquely and amazingly was give people information so that they can, come to the best conclusion about how to craft their own narratives. Um, but with a sort of a rise in belief that there are no, um, there are no actual narratives that you discover, that all narratives are created. Um, and, and that uh, there has been this idea that, okay, we need to be the ones, our job is actually just to craft narrative for people so that they come for the right, to the right conclusions. And I, I, again, I see this in the arts as well. Like, you know, you were comparing arts to journalism. Like, I think that that's the job of art as well is to express reality, to say like, okay, here's the truth of reality as I see it, but not to try to control people's conclusions to reality. Um, and I think that that's where art get, goes that's wrong. Propaganda. That's what propaganda is. It's not yeah. exactly. It's not re- exposing people to reality. It's exposing people to the truth of reality. But I think we oftentimes get, you know, people become activists because they can become frustrated um, because sure. people are not 
when I show people my truth, they're not coming to the conclusion that I want them to. I mean, for a good example of this is recently, um, you know, uh, recently uh, Elon Musk posted about like, let's get red pilled. And then of course the director of the matrix was like, no, you can't use the red pill. And cause I invented that and I don't like your political beliefs. And it's like, you know, you can't use the red pill to ad- denote something that like, I didn't mean it to. It's like, but um, but of course you can, because that's how art works. Like the idea of awakening from a slumber is not something that you can just have one group of people do, but that's the, where the frustration comes in. So that's where, you know, art becomes more, I want to control, control your conclusions, not um, help you see the truth. Um, and that's the same way that journalism, that happens with journalism as well, I think. Well, I feel like in the past while, and maybe it's just because I've only really been reading the news the past 10, 15 years, but um, in the past while, I feel that news, you know, we've talked about this objectivity, just reporting the facts versus um, right. your your opinion on the facts. I think one of my aversions to reading news in general, which I know I should read more because I like to stay informed, um, but, you know, during during the quarantine, I really just kind of swore off it for a while. Sure. It wasn't having a good effect. And one of the reasons I did was because everything I read seemed to not trust that I would come to the correct conclusion. Right. It didn't trust me in telling me what happened. It said, here's what happened and here's what you should think about it. And I don't do well with people telling me what I should think. So no, he doesn't. there was almost no source that I could read that wasn't trying in some either subtle or explicit way to tell me exactly what I should think about what happened. And this would be, you know, about, about anything. It could be about the pandemic or the Black Lives uh, Matter movement. It could be about uh, a feminist movement, whatever it might be. There was a million different things. And wherever I would look, um, it was, I couldn't read anything without the article, the, the, whatever it might be, the piece trying to tell me what to think about it. And that got very frustrating because I, I like to think that I'm someone who can come to conclusions about things myself, but it feels that the news I was reading, and, and I'm talking most of the mainstream on the right and the left, by the way, um, felt this need to tell me what conclusions to come to about it. And that, I think that gets old being condescended or taught every time as opposed to just told um, the facts of what happened. And interestingly enough, I often found the articles I drifted towards on any of these major happenings were the local news, um, uh, the outlets. For whatever reason, the local papers, the local stations, they seem to have less of a dog in the fight that was trying to get me to think a certain thing about the events and more of this is what happened, you know, uh, just reporting on the facts. So I very often drifted towards um, uh, local news. Um, but also real quick, I also want to say, cause you asked this question, Joseph earlier about why is there a rise yeah. of fake news? Yeah. And recently I saw, or not recently, a couple of years ago, I think, uh, and I've seen it and it popped back up recently. It was Denzel Washington talking to a reporter mm. and he was talking about their, why they have to do the jobs and how they do their jobs well. And it was during the whole fake news kind of rise in this, in this word, um, or this phrase that seems to be everywhere now. And his, in this very short interaction he had with this journalist, his diagnosis was that fake news is happening because there's such a competition with so much, um, uh, with the rise of social media, with so much content all the time, all these places and outlets are competing for your clicks and for your attention. And with so much competition, you have to be throwing out news stories, clickbait titles, 
all the time or else you'll fall out of the competition. You'll, you'll fall low. Someone else will get the headline. Someone else will get the click. And so he says, essentially, when you capitulate to trying to be the most popular, get the most clicks, you're going to let some of the details of actually doing good journalism, checking your facts, all these things go. And so you'll have an abundance of not just outright fake news, but, um, but low quality news because you're playing into this. Like we have to just put out as much content as possible as opposed to still trying to put out good content. Um, uh, yeah. So it, no, it's interesting. I, I thought I was thinking back to that and I think he might be right in a lot of ways. Denzel Washington's a very wise man. I think I'm going to, I'm going to build on that because I think that, that you're really right. And I've, I've had thoughts on this. I'm going to build on that. And then I'm going to turn it over to Megan. Um, I think, you know, it's there. This is something that's been part of Western civilization for a long time, which is the slow decentralization and democratization of um, power to communicate. Um, and coupled with, you know, the disillusionment and distrust of traditional authorities. So you had, of course, you know, the Enlightenment thinkers who are all like, okay, let's reform, you know, the government and the religion and all of our institutions to be more, you know, to, to, to allow for more, you know, freedom and equality. And of course, you know, you get free markets, which decentralizes money, you get democracy, which decentralizes, uh, you know, political power, and you get, you know, the Reformation of the church and other things in the church and freedom of religion, which democratized religion. And what it does is it means you don't have given authorities anymore. You have of different people who are competing for to be authorities in your life, like different mm. churches who are competing for your different. And of course, you know, with democratization of money means that, you know, you can get multiple news sources. So you had the networks, but then you had the cable news channels and the internet is just another next step of that. Um, you know, democratization and decentralization of that. Now anybody has the money to, you know, even if you don't have much money, you don't have enough money to start a cable news channel, you can um, still have wide influence to communicate with somebody halfway across the world. And so that is just another step of that thing that's just been happening in the West for a long time. If you want to read more about that, like I, a lot of this I'm talking about is in, uh, uh, Gillis Lebovetsky's Hypermodern Times. But the thing that's really difficult about that, and the reason that it's, it's, it's so hard, is that nobody has the time to fact check all of the sources. Like when people are saying, like when there are so many voices at you, nobody has time to fact check all the sources. And so it encourages us to simply reflect onto our biases. Because if we all agreed that the New York Times was pretty reliable, that if the New York Times, you know, it said something, we'd say, okay, well, New York Times said it, it's probably true. But because of yeah. trust and authority has broken down, coupled with the, all the options, you know, then we go back to just sort of like, you know, to the way we it all was. Get to decide we all get to decide. And so I, with, given that, the reason I'm giving all this context is, and for, for to key up to Megan, because I give her the hard problem, um, <laughs> is how do you solve this? Like, how yeah, do you even, how do you even like, because this is so structural, it goes back to the enlightenment, you know, it, it's, you know, I mean, you know, it was, uh, Bacon was complaining about, you know, was complaining about, you know, this stuff. And of course people are talking about the rise of conspiracism, which is like, you know, conspiracy theories without facts. It's like, you know, what's, how do you solve this problem that's so systemic, um, uh, to our culture to bring some of this back, to bring back the ability to trust the news to some degree, and, and not give in to um, 
you know, real fake news or just biased news that reflects our own biases? Yeah, so there's so many different approaches. I mean, like things I want to say, but yeah. I think first of all, it's like you, we have to stop thinking about the news as like the news, like mm. one monolith, mm. because um, that's not true. Like there's so many different outlets. You can find a news that you trust probably mm. like, so, you know, it depends what you're looking for. Um, if you're looking for a news outlet to disclose where they fall politically, then maybe something like the dispatch is uh, what you want to subscribe to, you know, that has, I think they're kind of like center, right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Never Trumper type of people. So it's like, you know, if that's what you think ideologically, maybe that's for you. But at the end of the day, like we should all be reading diverse media because um, mm. it's like trying to understand different perspectives is going to challenge you in a good way. So I think like it's good to wider. be skeptical of media, yeah. but we should apply that skepticism across the board and not yes. be like skeptical mm. of the New York Times, but then like share this thing on social media that fits our narrative because it makes us feel better. It's like, why so, weren't you skeptical there? Ah, uh, so, both uh, people on, on two different sides say Fox news is completely lies and you can't believe anything. And then I've heard people who watch Fox news say CNN is completely lies. You can't believe anything. And I wonder what would happen if both of them watched uh, equally both said they might have a fuller picture of what actually is going on. Yeah. Perhaps, yeah, exactly. but that takes work and time, but that's, that's tough. Yeah. I think like the solution, it's like, okay, the media industry has a ton of challenges. So like most people don't realize, or maybe they do, but I'm not aware that <laughs> digital, digital advertising revenue has massively declined. So yeah. like media is constantly looking for how to survive, like, people in journalism get laid off all the time. Like they have yeah. to switch jobs and they get pay cuts and they don't yeah. get paid very well in the first place. And yeah. um, it's a really tough job. Like, I think we need to have a little bit of sympathy yeah. for the media, totally. still hold yeah. them accountable to do their jobs well, but there's so many factors that are pulling the industry down. And then on top of that, you know, depending on who owns your outlet, there are always going to be um, not controls necessarily, but like limits and directionally, there's mm -hmm. an ideological direction that's coming from the top down, like at the end of the day, because someone is, is keeping this thing afloat. So mm -hmm. it's just a reality. And then I think, you know, the top publications, the top mainstream media, they're still, I think, largely inspired by old school journalistic neutrality i think that might be changing actually now um in a bad way but <laughs> it's still like um i think the inspiration um but then yeah, yeah as far as a reader point of view we all have to be better smarter news consumers it's like at the end of the day take some personal responsibility you're your own fact checker you have to research stuff you need emotional resilience to understand when you are feeling negative after reading the news like why are you magnet are you like magnetizing this sense of suffering that isn't really true like 
um, sometimes that happens, you know, when you just have to take a break and realize, like, why do you feel sad after reading these articles? Is it you've immersed yourself in this thing and, you know, take a step back and look at the big picture. And then um, sometimes, you know, it's a matter of like, read the whole article. Did you read the whole article? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> read, it really, read it really carefully. It's yeah. like, I don't know how many times people have like written to me about an article I wrote. And I'm like, I literally answered that question in the article. Like, <laughs> what, what you're accusing me of is not there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just checking like primary sources, being very skeptical all the time, I think is a good thing. Like who funded this study? Who funded this research that's in the headline? Like, you know, they're probably biased in some way. Did that affect the conclusion of the research? Like, yeah. it's just like simple things like that, that sometimes we no. miss. That's fantastic. I think, I think that's really good. I mean, I think like there's still the problem of most people don't have uh, the time to do this with as much news as they get um, thrown at them all the time. And I think, you know, again, the things that I do to try to say, one is I try to find two, like two people, like four people essentially like I, that I trust that, that I think have some integrity. It's like a, two people sort of like, for example, two people on the right who I think have integrity and two people on mm. the left who I think have integrity. Um, and then if the, if like the people on the right and the left all agree on certain facts, I say, okay, they're probably, this is probably true. Um, and if, if the people on the right and the left disagree, it's like, okay, well, then this is an ideological thing. I could, I could try to investigate more if I have time. And if the two people like who are ideologically the same disagree on something, well, that's something really deep cut that if or, in order for me to have an opinion on it, I need to really like d deep dive into it. But that's sort of what I, how I try to do things, but it still does take a lot of time. And, and so one of the things that I, you know, I think is, you don't, is I also advise is you don't have to have an opinion on everything. Um, and yeah, you know, as a lot of times people, you know, when we had an episode, we were talking about, you know, how social media and everything tries to tell us we need to care about everything and tries to tell us we need to be invested in everything. And to a certain degree, you don't, um, because you don't have the time or expertise to do that. Um, and, uh, and I guess also sort of in my life, I'm trying to become the kind of person that's informed enough because I do have more time than some other people do try to be informed enough that I could be a source for people to say, they can listen to me. And I think that that's another thing to think about is for all of us to be people with integrity so that if we do can consume the news, that they can actually trust us to tell them something so that they don't necessarily have to consume all the news that we do. So those are some things that I try to do, but it's still like, again, it's a problem that I don't know because I certainly don't know the solution to the digitalization, you know, digital marketing problem. But yes, read the full article before you share an opinion on something is probably true. But I don't know the some of the things that you're talking about in the journal, inside the journalism space, I don't know solutions to that. So that's a, you know, I'm, I'm sort of stumped on some of this. Well, my, my solution is I, I stopped reading the news. I just talked to you now. I, like you <laughs> I trust your integrity. I trust that you're going to tell me the truth about all the different points of view. So I don't even have to. So everyone just write Joseph. Everyone knows Joseph, you got you to gotta monetize this. Start a substack. <laughs> It's a good point. It's a good point. Also, also, what you said, Nathan. You said like, universal skepticism. I like and they, again universal skepticism. We're we, we're doing selective skepticism now, and that's what we yeah. should we should apply that skepticism. I agree. So that's a good. See, not everything from the Enlightenment is bad. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. No, a lot of it from the Enlightenment is good. I'm I'm a big supporter of like half of the Enlightenment. I'm a big supporter of like and, half of it. And ultimately, as we yeah. round out this episode. 
Uh, the reality is there's tons of fake news out there, yes. but overthinkers is always objective. The overthinkers <laughs> is always true and always objective. No, no, we're just really open about our biases. Like, so you know exactly where we're coming yeah. from right away. You don't have to wonder. So, yeah. That's true. That is true. Uh, um, all right. Well, uh, that's awesome. I think that's a good, that's a good place to end it. Um, uh, we'll end the first segment. Now we'll move on to our blesses and curses, uh, our, our most popular segment by all those polled, uh, uh, <laughs> who, who is like a handful, like a five people. Poll. Yeah, five people. <laughs> um, so great sample size, which is a, not a good example of object, objective journalism. Um, but uh, yes, of course, we do the segment is where we uh, say a piece of art that or, or something that we love that uh, or hate, love or hate, bless or curse based on the topic at hand. So, um, our guest always has the opportunity, but not the obligation to join in. So Megan, would uh, you like to do it? And if you would, would you like to go first or would you like to go last or anything in the middle? Oh, uh, let me go last. I'm cool. not sure. Okay. No worries. No, you get to you get to see how we do it. So you can jump into there. Uh, Nathan, how about yourself? I will. I will go. Um, man, I have. This is interesting. I was thinking through, like, what should I blessing curse when it comes to journalism and news? And there's so many interesting things. I mean, this was such a, a topic that's ripe for good stories and good art <laughs> and good books. But one I will immediately say is I watched a while ago. Um, I was forced, because it didn't look all that interesting, and then I watched it. It was absolutely amazing. It was a movie called Network with Rob Duvall yeah. um, and just tons of Faye amazing Dunaway. actors. One of all but what I love is it gives you an inside look at how this stuff goes and how it works. Um, and it, and, and, the, and that really what it showed me is that, like you said, it, it, the news isn't just this objective thing. It's run by people who yeah. have lives and personalities and thoughts and, um, and stories. And so it's, uh, it's just a really fantastic movie that gives you an inside look into the people who run um, the networks. So it's called Network. It's fantastic. And just as an actor, it has amazing. So much acting. <laughs> oh, yes. So and actually, interestingly enough, um, I think, um, I can't remember her name. The actress won the Academy Faye. Award for Best oh, yeah. Actress. And she won for a, I think it was like, like a three to five minute scene, the yeah. shortest in all history. It's the shortest is, ever to win for Best Actress. And she deserved best. every minute of it. Yeah. It's, oh, it was absolutely amazing. So it's a great movie on it, so many accounts. And it takes place right here in New York. Um, so definitely check out. Um, uh, it's, yes, it's a uh, it's a, everybody I've seen, it's a movie that you know you should watch, but think it's going to be, you're going to hate watching it. And the thing is, as Nathan said, you will actually probably enjoy watching it because it really is a good. Yes, it is true. Now for Curse, um, you know, I think I cursed West Wing a while ago. <laughs> you did and curse so, West Wing. You've already done that, yes. So I think I'm going to curse um, just because I'm going to go on my Aaron Sorkin. I actually like Aaron Sorkin. I really, I really like him. I love yes. And I've enjoyed, I loved West Wing, and I loved what I'm about to curse. I just, there's there's something I'm going to curse because it gets shared so much. Um, but I'm going to curse Newsroom by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, listen, <laughs> I love Aaron Sorkin. I hate that I keep on cursing his stuff. He really is enjoyable. I love his movies uh, and his TV shows. And I've watched all the newsroom. Really entertaining, really fun. The thing I'm cursing is what I cursed exactly about um, West Wing, which is an over-romantization of how things actually go in a newsroom or yeah. in, the, in the White House. 
And what it, what it shows is that everyone has integrity. They're just trying to do their jobs and these yeah. stupid people won't let them just be honest and do their jobs. And the reality is people are fickle. We're selfish. We have yeah. biases. And so that's what I don't think newsroom or Aaron Sorkin does a great job uh, either in the White House or the newsroom of showing the reality of humanity trying to do these things like politics or journalism yeah. and um, it romanticizes them to a degree where you think this is actually happening and it's not. Also, there's this clip um, okay. <laughs> that goes around where Jeff Daniels is, you know, sitting and talking about what, how America is not the greatest, the greatest country. Though. Yeah. Anyway, it's fine. I, I don't care. But it's just every time I see it shared, it's just so um it brings so out the worst in people it brings out the worst yeah in people. Yes. and yes. it's so pompous every time it's shared it's so pompous and there's so many inaccuracies or at least straw men or at least just yeah. actual uh, or um what's the word i'm looking for uh, uh logical no fallacies in scary. what he said that it just bothers me i'm like there are better ways to, to make the uh, same to dissect yeah. and take apart america yeah, yeah. and I, it was very sorkin it's very cool and he says in a cool way and jeff daniels is a great actor but uh, i'm i'm cursing newsroom in that scene specifically because it's just so really i'm cursing because it's annoying that scene is just so annoying yeah. but i love sorkin i have to say that yeah well, th- we'll, we'll fi- have to find a way to bless uh, there and sorkin thing at some point soon. <laughs> that's true I'll, um, find, yeah, I'll find it but i will say i will say yeah the the um newsroom needs its own veep or uh you know the journalists need their own veep show yes. because like as everybody says you know um uh politics isn't west wing or house of cards it's veep and yes. so it's like that the journalists need their own veep um, that's so true <laughs> um so, all right. So I will have two blesses and then a curse. I'll keep the, try to keep them short. Uh, my first bless as an example of a really good example of a movie that uh, does, you know, the best of journalism well is a recent movie called The Post, which is about, you know, Washington Post and the New York Times, you're releasing uh, the papers related to um uh, Vietnam War, even though the the government didn't want them to, it is about you know journalism doing their journalists doing their journalism and investigative reporting, you know everything we love about journalists. If we love journalism, what we love about it, it's there, and it's done by you know again it's it's got you know directed by Steven Spielberg, and it stars Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep and Bob Odenkirk and so many people wow. just at the top of their game. And so it feels like the best of like old school Hollywood celebrating the best of old school journalism. Um, and so, and so like, I could just relax and enjoy myself watching it. And so it's a great time. So if you're looking for something like is that, and you haven't necessarily watched that because you probably watched all the president's men or things like that. This is a one to watch. You should put this one on your, on your watch list. It's also, I will say got the best acting I've ever seen Meryl Streep do because wow, you can see okay. her as a insecure person who gains confidence and watching that, trajectory is quite phenomenal. So I definitely recommend the post. I'll also recommend the movie Richard Jewell, which I know that a lot of, there, there, there are reasons to, to be angry about at that movie for um, giving a character's name and then giving, uh, and then saying something about them that's not necessarily substantiated. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there are articles about it. So there are reasons to dislike the movie, but the reason I dislike them, I love the movie because it's, besides the fact it's really well done and it's, it's just a great story, is it, a reason I'm blessing it is because it shows what happens when institutions betray the people they're supposed to serve. And mm. the sort of the, what happens psychologically to people 
who, you know, I, it's like, I believe it, like the stars, like I believe in the FBI, I want to work in law enforcement. I trust the news and things like that. And then he slowly gets his life torn apart by those institutions and so loses trust in them. And I think that that's a psychological reason, partly why for, um, for the fake news phenomenon. And I think it, it illustrates that phenomenon really well. Um, and then finally, I'm going to, I'm going to curse a movie that I didn't hate. I actually enjoyed it, but it's still, I'm going to curse Godzilla versus Kong the movie um is it's fun it's dumb fun if you're looking for dumb fun it's great and i'm looking for dumb fun after a whole year of the pandemic in 2020 so i enjoyed it but it does two things which i think are really problematic and particularly given our, our current subject one it lionizes internet conspiracy theorists unashamedly <laughs> lionizes them which is a problem it is not good to lionize conspiracy theorists as the first people oh who have the real truth you know the, and they make him the stereotype you can't trust people podcasts hey you can trust people on podcasts who have who verify their sources which we do here. <laughs> but like he's the stereotype of a conspiracy theorist and they lionized him and i don't think that that's a good thing to encourage to do i'm sorry for being a funny daddy but i think that that's a bad idea <laughs> i will also say they make people the villains, the villains because they want to create a robot Godzilla to compete with Godzilla. And I'm thinking, actually, they're right. We should have a robot Godzilla to compete with Godzilla <laughs> because we can't trust Godzilla. So I'm like, so what? no, the villains are right in this one. So I, I think that they have ideological problems in that movie. So that's why I'm cursing it. Okay, so now, Megan, your turn. What would you like to bless and or curse? Well, first off, I have to say that I'm really not a culture critic or a film critic. <laughs> So my opinion is going to be not as intelligent as far as critiquing culture or filmmaking. However, be surprised. I would like to mention, <laughs> would like to mention the movie Spotlight as a blessed movie. Okay. Not for the filmmaking. You know, it's been so long since I've seen it, so I can't even comment on the acting or whatever. But I will say that I think that story is really important to hear especially for people that feel like, even I feel this way sometimes, that the whole story of sexual abuse in the Catholic Church has been used as a weapon against the church, which I think it has in a way. But the story itself was very important to tell. And yeah. it was like extremely important to tell, you know, and it happened through a commitment to the truth, which a yeah. lot of Christians sometimes tend to not want something negative about their church to come out into the yeah. light, which is a problem. We so, want truth to happen for the other people, not for us. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think that is like something that we all need to think about. That's, that's an excellent um, point. And, and I'll, then, say, I, oh, I'll say that I was very impressed. Every Christian outlet that I saw at the time the spotlight came out, every Christian outlet that I read said, you know, this is important. And they didn't uh, bite back yeah. at them for doing that. So I was very Good impressed. Good on us. I know. I was, I was yeah, rarely, exactly. it was a rare moment of being impressed. <laughs> so, but yeah, good. So good. Yeah, very good. It's always yeah. a good feeling when people know it's <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, cursing, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind has nothing to do with your categories of culture or art, but I just have to do it because I really need the catharsis of cursing them. <laughs> do it. That's so what we're here for. I would like to curse Twitter because <laughs> they, <laughs> I hate being on Twitter. I have to be on Twitter, but I hate being on Twitter. 
and I particularly am upset at their hypocrisy uh, mm. multiple times. You could think of so many examples, but the latest one is that during this crisis in India of COVID cases rising and rising, Twitter decided that they were going to listen to the Indian government and take down a lot of tweets that were critical of the government there. Oh, geez. And yeah, it's just, it's such a problem for uh, big tech to have that kind of power. And I think like as Americans, we really need to think about the international impacts of supporting a kind of content moderation system, whatever it looks like, because it always means that someone is sitting there saying yes or no on a certain piece. Um, and, you know, I could go on and on about how we've sure. had things taken down that really shouldn't have been taken down. I'm definitely an Instagram guy. So I'm with you. Curse Twitter. Uh, he, yeah, he cursed Twitter yeah. last week. And so, so like, you're it's very... Oh, really? Is, like, oh, yes. Okay. yes, you did. Well, you cursed all of social media, basically, but but you particularly were talking about Twitter. So, um, so, yeah, well, that's... You know, an extra curse doesn't hurt. The, yeah. No, 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 no. It, it Twitter... Twitter deserves an extra curse. It can handle yeah. it. Uh, no, well, thank you very much, uh, Megan, for for coming on. This is this was fantastic. And oh, I will say because nobody actually, none of us actually did it. I am going to bless the Babylon Bee uh, because it is oh, a yeah. fun uh, satire site that I enjoy. And yes, and we need so, a laugh. And we need right a now. laugh. And sometimes their stuff is dumb, but they do enough good stuff that is that is really fun. And they say that they're satire. So like, you know. See, I can tell that you're biased because you didn't bless the onion, Joseph. So I don't know if I like that. <laughs> I, you know, but we admit that we're biased. <laughs> but the onion has gotten less funny. It has. There's still a few. There's still a few that come up. But uh, but yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, yes. Anyway, thank you for coming on, Megan. This has been a blast. Yeah. Um, thanks so much. Where can people find you if they want to find you, if you want them to find you, oh, which I assume you do because you're <laughs> in journalism. Um, and uh, what are, is something, is there something you'd like to promote in particular? Yeah, sure. Um, visit our website at religionunplugged.com. Uh, you can subscribe to our email newsletter there. And, you know, you can find me on Twitter. And I'm at, <laughs> I'm at, at Megan K. <laughs> M-A-G-A-N-K-A-Y at Twitter. And by the way, I will go ahead and throw this in because I'm um, an unabashed narcissist. Uh, both Joseph and I have articles on Religion Unplugged that you can read. Oh, yeah. Mine is called Why I Won't Make Another Christian Movie. And Joseph has many, many film reviews, things related to faith and film and all the things we talk about here. So go look up our articles and then that'll get you in. You can look up all we'll the We'll be the, the gateway drug to the rest of Religion Unplugged. Yes. Yes, exactly. We're the gateway. <laughs> And if there's any other writers listening, we yes. do take freelance pitches. So find me on Twitter and DM me and I would yeah. love to and connect they, with you. Awesome. Cool. And uh, yeah, and also I'm going to give another shout out to our Facebook group, uh, The Overthinkers, which Megan and Nathan and I are a part of where we discuss all the topics we discuss on the podcast with each other. And we post memes and we have great discussion where we talk about things that matter and we don't get angry at each other over politics and things like that. So it's a really, it's a good time. So definitely encourage you to, if you like this podcast, all three of us are on there, so you should go check that out. Uh, where else can people find you, Nathan, if they want to find you? You can find me on all the socials. Search my name, Nathan Clarkson. You could also go to my website, nathanclarkson.me. 
And if you, uh, Joseph, how can people find you? Um, all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, uh, find me, search my name, and then also my website, josephholmestudios.com. And if you want to get in touch with us or know more about the podcast, please go to theoverthinkersjournal.com. We have some articles we've been putting on there. You also have bios about all the hosts, what we do. And hopefully after this um, quarantine is totally over, we'll have some updates on actual in-person events happening. Yes. Um, and we'd love to see We'd love to see you at. So please check out theoverthinkersjournal.com. And Joseph, get us out of here. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you, Megan, for being here. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Mm-hmm.